Welcome to the Feathered Desert, a podcast all about desert bird feeding in the southwestern region of the United States. All right, welcome to the Feathered Desert. This episode will open your mind to the amazing abilities of birds. Cheryl and I are going to talk about tool use in birds. As humans, one of the abilities that we thought separated us from the rest of the animal kingdom was our use of tools. But as researchers continue to study the natural world, we have discovered that we are not the only ones capable of using tools. To research this controversial topic, scientists first started off with an accepted definition of true tool use. It's the first thing you got to do anytime you do any kind of experiment is get your definition correct. So, the accepted definition is the exertion of control over a freely manipulable external object, the tool, with the goal of, one, altering the physical properties of another object, substance, surface, or medium, i.e. the target, via a dynamic mechanical interaction. In layman's terms, you're using something to change something else. (laughs) But you are the one picking up something and manipulating something to manipulate something else, essentially. Or, number two, you're mediating the flow of information between the tool user and the environment to other organisms in the environment. That kind of is self-explanatory. All right, with that definition in mind, hopefully your mind has not stopped working (laughs) after that definition. But with that definition in mind, we are going to start our conversation. All right. So we're going to start with baiting. Baiting is a deliberate use of an item to lure prey to a predator. Like when humans go fishing, we use a lure to attract fish to our hook and catch them. This is a pretty advanced form of forethought that many scientists didn't think birds were capable of performing. But we have two examples of baiting in birds. See, we always think we're the first. Yep. Birds have been doing it longer. The first example is herons. Using various items to attract fish to their fishing spot. The serrated. Sorry, striated. Striated. Um, Heron uses bits of bread, insects, twigs, or other vegetation to lure fish close to the branches that hang over the water that they use as a hunting spot. Green herons have been seen using breadcrumbs to lure fish close enough to easily catch them and chase away coots that try to eat their bread lure, indicating the herons understanding that the bread was helping to lure fish. Oh my gosh, that's like opens up the spectrum, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, that one kind of blew me away. You don't think that something like a heron, which seems to be a pretty, I mean, I don't know if I put him up there on a huge intelligence level. I mean, but he's understanding that if I take this little breadcrumb, which I'm not going to eat and put it here, it's going to attract a fish. But if that coot comes over and eats my bread, then I'm not going to have as much success catching a fish. A fish. That is a lot of stuff going on in his little head. So use the use of alluring has also been reported in the green egret, the black-crowned night heron, the great blue heron, which is a prehistoric predator all in its own. It is. Black kite, sun bittern, and the pied kingfish. 
Now, I have read that uh, green herons also will use insects. Yes, I which saw they that. they eat insects. So they're choosing, I, they're going to catch the insect, and then they're choosing to use the insect as a lure to get something bigger. Right, exactly. And that just takes the whole luring step of... That kind of manipulation we never put towards birds before. Yeah, because they know I can easily eat this insect and get the food that I want. But if I wait, I get a bigger reward. That's like the marshmallow test with kids. Yes. And sometimes kids don't pass that marshmallow test. <laughs> I know. Yes. So another bird that is one of our favorite valley birds is also on our tool use list. The burrowing owl will line the entrance of its burrow with dung to attract one of its favorite insects to eat. The dung beetle. Oh, I wonder how it figured that out. Scientists did a few experiments and discovered that owls using the dung as a lure ate 10 times more dung beetles as owls not using the lure. It's cheaper than using Uber Eats. Oh, that's so funny. Oh, my gosh. So that's probably, is that trial and error? Do they know how, have they figured out how the owls We haven't this? figured it out exactly, but our, our guess, our educated guess is it is trial and error. Is that one particular owl happened to see, hey, that dung beetle is coming towards this ball of poo. And then they just kind of figured it out from there, which is a huge leap. I mean, yes. that's a lot of intellectual processing going on there to take that ball of poo which sometimes it'll be near where the hole is where they're using their burrow and sometimes it's not it could be farther out in a field but um to lure it to to roll that poo near your house and then lure the bug closer to you that takes a lot of intellectual steps so and Putting it out there, if that's one owl doing it, that means that observation learning is going on, too. Yeah, most likely that's what they have understood as well. And I didn't get any exact numbers on this, but it definitely seems to happen in communities where at least one owl is doing it. Other owls will continue to do it. That is so amazing. It is amazing. All right, anting is another example of true tool use, but this one involves other live animals such as insects. Anting, and I am saying ant, A-N-T-I-N-G, is when a bird rubs an ant, a caterpillar, a centipede, snail, or other insect all over its body. It's kind of gross to think about, but it is a thing. It happens most often in passerines, a.k.a. songbirds, but no one really knows why they do it. One guess is that they use the chemicals in the insect as bug repellent. I mean, why not? Yeah. It works for the bug. Um, and then <laughs> another guess is that it could be a way to prepare the insect before eating it, um, since most often the bird actually eats the insect after the rubbing activity. I kind of go with the first one as like bug repellent. Um, there was also a mention of it soothing skin, because um, like that, um, the acid, the folic acid that's found in ants, ants has a soothing effect. I mean, certainly not when it bites me. But maybe, I don't know, I've never used folic acid on my, on my um, skin, but um, maybe it relieves itching. Because um, if they just wanted to eat it, I think, I mean, you could rub it on the ground and then eat it. You wouldn't have to rub it all over your body. Twofold. It could be twofold. We don't really know why they ended up doing it, but it is a very interesting example of tool use. So now we're going to move to Egyptian vultures who love to eat ostrich eggs. Oh, but the shell is so thick they cannot crack it open with their own beaks, so they fly up to 50 yards away 
to find the perfect rock to help them crack open the ostrich egg. Okay, I'm trying to think of this in the realm of tool use and not... Yes, now, it's not, just an egg that's... It's, it, there's no chick inside yet. Oh, okay. This is an early egg. All right, thank you. That makes it better. Yes. <laughs> when they find just the right rock, they hold it in their beaks, stand next to the egg, and throw the stone at the egg. Oh, I thought they were going to drop the egg on the rock, but they're picking up the rock and yes. dropping it on the egg. Well, the, That takes a little bit more. It does take a little bit more, and that's why it's true tool use, because they're manipulating the rock to break open the egg. If it was manipulate, taking the egg and flying up and dropping it, that's called proto-tool use, because you're not actually using, you're using the ground as a tool, you're not manipulating the tool itself, you're manipulating the yeah. egg, and you're using the environment to your own means, which is also intelligent. Yes, and a whole, but a whole nother way of looking at yes. tool use. They only hit the target 40 to 60% of the time, but they persist until they crack it open. The perfect rock is often an egg-shaped rock, and this leads scientists to hypothesize that this behavior evolved from a time when vultures threw eggs to crack them open instead of the other way around. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Birds, they never cease to amaze me. They truly, they truly don't. Really, I, I'm with you on that one. Okay, another example that is closer to home is the brown-headed nuthatch, which we do have here in the United States. This particular example, though, is a regional example of tool use. Brown-headed nuthatches across the United States do not do this, but the brown-headed nuthatches from a specific longleaf pine forest in Louisiana use bits of bark to pry off other bits of bark in search of hidden treasures. So they're using the bark like a wedge. They're, what they're doing is they're flipping off those pieces of bark to look for insects and cached pine nuts. And they do that most often when the hunger quotient is high and resources are low. So sometimes in the winter, if the winter has lasted longer than they prepared for, they go out hunting for other places because they do cache nuts under there and they do that year round to, because they are a non-migratory bird. They live year round in the place where... Um, they're born, and where they develop their territory, they stay there year-round. So they do cache nuts, but sometimes the you know, weather's a little colder than you expected, mm -hmm. and so a you're looking longer. for other things. Yeah, so they have learned how to use um, a little wedge, a little extra piece of bark, and it helps you pull off more bark at one time. Instead of sticking your beak under there and prying around, they just pry the whole thing off, and it goes faster. It's crazy! It is! <laughs> so our next example for true... Tool use, try to say that three times yes. fast, is drumming. Palm cockatoo, cockatoo males will remove twigs from trees to drum on tree trunks. They choose specific twigs. That's like playing the drums. Yes. That must be between t 10 to 12 centimeters, and they will remove any leaves or offshoots on those twigs until it's just the way they want it. Then they will beat it against a tree trunk, and each male has a different rhythm. Oh, my gosh, they're having, like, a drum concert. Yeah. We're not 100% sure why they do it, but it seems likely that they did it, that they do it, excuse me, to advertise their territory and to attract a mate. The twig is, also, is, is often added to the nest after a successful pairing. 
I guess it's really true that the drummer always gets the girl. Oh, my gosh. That's, <laughs> that's pretty cool. It is very cool. That's similar to woodpeckers and their drumming. Yeah, Except but they they're not using they're a tool. They're not using a tool. Yeah, exactly. So, so does this count for music, too? So are they're using a tool, but are they making music? Because, you know, they think I that, don't know if anyone's asked that question. Because they think woodpeckers drum for these reasons, but also because they just enjoy making the noise, which means music. I don't know if anybody's asked that question. Well, we need to. But drumming will take us up a notch to creating tools out of available items. Yes. So that's one step up from just using what's available. Yeah. So this is one of the most remarkable behaviors we've discovered in the bird world is making your own tool out of what is available. So the woodpecker finch, now this is a finch, not a woodpecker, woodpecker finch of the Galapagos Islands is an insect-eating bird that loves to eat grubs. Well, the grubs that they like burrow into the bark of trees to protect themselves from predators, but the woodpecker finch has designed a way to outsmart them. They actually use a cactus spine to dig the grubs out of their hiding space, and they're extremely particular about which spine they use. So they look for a spine that is just the right um, length with a nice little curve on it um, or a twig, that also is the same that they want. And if that fails, if they can't find what they're looking for, they will make their own. They will pick something and they will snap it down to the right size. And once they've fashioned the perfect tool, they'll actually keep it with them, flying from place to place, holding it in their beak. Ah. I don't know. They didn't say how long they keep them. I'm assuming they probably just keep it for the day. But they, I mean, once they have it, if they're flying to another tree, they don't drop it. They keep it with them so at, they, while they're hunting. So there, there's a realization there. Yes, exactly. Oh, my gosh. I know. <laughs> One of the most amazing examples of tool making is the new Candelonia Crow. Caledonia. Caledonia. I thought I said it right. This is Caledonia the one that you crow. read. You um, talked about this in your crow podcast is yes. the new Caledonia Crow. This crow can make a tool out of almost anything. They break down twigs to the right size and even fashion wire into the perfect tool by bending the ends into the perfect curve. The leaf tools they develop have diversified, diversified over time on the island of New Caledonia, which is an unexpected accomplishment. A quote from Ornithology by Frank B. Gill states, the crow has developed the cultural capacity to evolve its tools in ways that resemble the feats of the early ancestors of modern humans. That's pretty okay. cool. Wrap your head around that, guys. Yes. These birds are also sequential tool users, which means they use multiple tools in a row to reach their object. This is seen in captive experiments where the crow is presented with a puzzle with the reward being food. To solve the puzzle, the bird must use different tools to solve each step to finally open the portion with the food. It's a behavior rarely seen in animals outside of primates. It's not often seen in primates either. <laughs> no, but the, the um, honey badger... Yeah, the honey badger can do that too. But the honey badger is a whole new, uh, whole other whole story. No, that's there. a whole other podcast and <laughs> animal altogether. But these crows are amazing because I have watched videos of them making their tools. Yeah, they're really pretty cool. And um, it's learned, so the youngsters learn from their parents. Yeah, they're amazing birds. 
So I saved my favorite for last. It's not as complicated as the new Caledonian crow, but it is pretty mind-blowing. The black kite of Australia, which is a type of raptor, has been seen by Aborigines for generations picking up burning sticks on the edges of wildfires and then dropping them further afield to make small prey items, such as mice, run in the direction they want to make it easier for them to catch them. Now think about this. This is a bird going towards fire. Going towards fire. And they're picking up a stick that's on fire. So this is an amazing example of tool use, but even more incredible, it's the only other example of an animal using fire besides humans. It's us and the black kite. And that's it. We're the only ones that use fire to our own advantage. That's, but I, I wish I could I wish I could go back in time and be there when that the first bird. Yep. Because you know it only takes one in the bird world because they do learn quite often mm -hmm. by ob um, observation. Came up with that idea. I know. It's just. Poof. Although who knows? Maybe the bird was doing it well before Aborigines were doing That's it, and true. they watched the and bird the do it. Aborigines watched the. Yeah, bird. and watched the bird do it, and they figured out, oh, well, I can use fire. If the bird's doing it, I can do it. Yeah. It's pretty cool. That is cool. So we hope that this episode of The Feather Desert stays with you, and next time you're watching your favorite birds at your backyard bird feeder, you remember these examples of bird intelligence and how similar birds really are to us. <laughs>